Hi everyone and welcome to Global Careers Calls, the podcast of the University of London Career Service, where we uncover inspirational career journeys from around the world. In the seventh season, Dr. Edwin Ma, Careers Consultant at the University of London, will accompany us in the world of humanities and help us to explore some of the more unusual careers paths that University of London students and graduates have taken in this field. We'll explore the unique skills that humanities graduates develop, discover the uncommon professional journeys that our speakers have taken, and how their humanities degrees have been pivotal in their careers, both within and beyond the humanistic field. So whether you study the humanities subject, or are just interested in finding out more about a different sector, stay tuned to discover the unique careers choices of our guest. In this episode, our host, Dr. Edwin Ma, interviews Alex Burke, Senior Program Administrator for the Divinity Degree course at the University of London. Prior to working at the University, Alex had a long career across secondary education, starting as a teacher and then progressing as head teacher and head of department. He retraces his career through the challenges and joys of the teaching profession, sharing with us valuable tips on the importance of human connection, teamwork and networking. Hope you enjoy the call. Very warm welcome, Alex. It's such a pleasure to be able to have this conversation in person on this winter morning in London. So, Alex, as we start our conversation today, I wondered if you could please tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself and who you are and whereabouts in the world you're based. Thank you very much for inviting me along this morning. It's nice to see you face to face. Okay, so let me begin by saying that I'm currently working with the University of London Divinity Programme, University of London Worldwide Divinity Programme, and I've been doing that for the past eight years with the Programme Director, Dr Elizabeth Burns. The opportunity to work on this programme came after I had been in, in education for most of my professional life. I was born and brought up in the north of Ireland, and around about the age of 18, I left home. At that point, I thought I was going to become a priest. So I came to London and I joined the seminary. And I stayed there for about seven years. And after that, I decided, maybe it was decided for me, but it was decided that it was, it was no longer an appropriate thing for me to do. And I was looking elsewhere to see what was going to take place in my life and I was going to going to lead it. I didn't go into education as a as a, a definitive choice. I kind of drifted into it because I was at the stage where I was still at the university at the time. I was at the stage where I was actually looking for something to do with my life and I really wasn't sure what it was going to be. Anyway, I, I did sort of respond to a friend who said, why don't you come and you could teach a little bit up in, up in my school. So I ended up for a very short period of time teaching at a boys' school in North London. And it was a frightening experience because I hadn't been trained. I had no idea about what the protocol was when I walked into a classroom. But that, that was a, it was kind of a baptism of fire, really. But it gave me a little bit of, well, more than a little bit, it gave me quite a bit of food for thought. And I thought, well, where can I where can I take this? So I went from the early days, I went from teaching, supply teaching, 
mainly within the inner London, what was the old inner London education authority. So I taught some French, I taught some mathematics, I taught some religious studies. So a variety of subjects to a variety of students, some in, in the primary sector, mainly in the secondary sector. I ended up in the mid-80s in Burton-on-Trent for a year. And then I come back to London. Uh, a friend rang me up and said, look, I'm going on elsewhere. Would you be interested in applying for my job, which was the head of religious studies, again, in another school in North London? I did. I came down to London. I was successful in that interview. And I stayed in that post for, gosh, about 16 years as a senior teacher, and Asheville head of year and head of RA, teaching these North London kids lots of things about, lots of things that they didn't want to learn. That was a great experience. So after that, I made a decision that I would like to spend the rest of my career in, in education. And I believed at that time that I had it in me to become a head teacher. Like the arrogance of this, you know, and what, yeah, I could be a I could do your job because I'd seen so a number of them. I think, well, you know, I could, I wouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. I would have done this or whatever. So that kind of, I wouldn't say it was arrogance, but there was a, a, perhaps a little bit of it about done mm-hmm. uh, in that, in my decision to to pursue it. So I applied for uh, a number of jobs uh, in London, and I in fact applied for seventeen deputy headships. Wow! Wow! And I was interviewed in fourteen of those. Mm-hmm. And um, I never got them. Mm-hmm. And I came away from each interview and I go back to my school, and the head used to call out the window, Well, Burke, did you get, were you successful? And uh, he used to be able to read my face. I mm-hmm. said I wasn't. And I could never, ever, ever figure out until much later mm-hmm. why I, I wasn't getting the jobs that I was going for. Mm-hmm. You know, in most of those 14, 15 interviews, I came away thinking I couldn't have done any better. Mm. So what is it? What was it about it? Mm. But it was much later when I did figure out when I was advised what the issue was. I'll come back to that in a minute. You've got me intrigued now, Ali. Yeah, right. Okay, so I'm, I'm now working in the Diocese of Westminster. <laughs> and to work in a Catholic school, I needed a, a, a reference from, from my church. I'd been using the same... Catholic reference in, in all this time. And it turned out that this particular chap who was writing a reference for me said, oh, he's a good bloke and all the rest of it. But he questioned my Catholicity because I had taken my son out of school eggs and had sent him to school wine, which wasn't a Catholic school. I did it for all the reasons it doesn't matter, but I did. Mm-hmm. And it was when... I think on the final interview that I had, that I didn't get, the chair of governors said to me, you need to look again at your reference for your proofs reference. Just so I did. Mm-hmm. I changed it. And the first interview I went to after that, I got a job. Isn't it remarkable how that one small thing can have such a impact on your career journey, that that one reference who perhaps had an axe to grind or perhaps had a um, misplaced concern can just... It, it, you're, you're absolutely right. It was, it was uh, quite remarkable that uh, this particular chap, whom I knew, mm-hmm. I was at college with mm-hmm. him, um, I had no idea that he was questioning 
a fundamental principle upon which I was living living my own life as a, as a Catholic, mm-hmm. you know. And I just found it incredible. But you're wrong. It was just like one mm-hmm. single incident mm-hmm. skewed everything. Mm-hmm. And how did you feel at the time when that came to light? I was appalled. Mm-hmm. And I was torn between do I confront it mm-hmm. or do I just put it to one side, mm-hmm. live and let live and get on with it? Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. Mm-hmm. His life took a different path thereafter mm-hmm. for other reasons. Mm-hmm. But it, 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 I was, that was incredibly angry. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. very pleased that somebody had said to me, look, there is an issue here. Get it sorted. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was an issue. This is interesting, isn't it, that you have that one person who perhaps wasn't an ally in your career when you thought they would be, but equally somebody else who was perhaps a stranger to you in that position who gave you that crucial piece of advice that you needed to hear at that time. I did need to hear it, and he didn't have to give me that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as 10 or 12 of them previously hadn't given me that. (laughs) This particular chap, I didn't really know him, but Mm -hmm. he says to me, look, you need to look again. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting how in in, in one's life, in one's career path, uh, that single incidents can can influence Mm -hmm. how things really turn out. Absolutely, um, and uh, you know, I was I was for eternally grateful for the the, the chap who said to me, "Get it sorted," because I would never have known. No, and I think what's coming across there is the power of people to influence our career journey. Whether that's someone in our corner who's who's supporting us, even as a total stranger, who, as you say, didn't need to do that, but was there for you as an ally, yeah. and equally somebody else who you expected to be playing that supported role as your reference wasn't there in your corner fighting for you. Yeah. It's so important to have the right network around you and yeah. the right people to yeah. carry you through that journey. And, uh, yeah, and you're right. And, uh, and it's also about it's also about being honest with people. Mm-hmm. Like, n- there was nothing to be gained mm-hmm. in other people not saying to me, look, the reason why you didn't get the job mm-hmm. was because, really, was because of this. Mm-hmm. And I know that I came out of maybe two or three of those interviews and I thought, mm, well, would I have employed me? Mm-hmm. And I probably would have said, on balance, probably not. Mm-hmm. These are, they can be stressful situations. Mm-hmm. You're being required to think on your feet mm-hmm. and, and, and you're only given one shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. You miss it. It's good night, Irene. And uh, that's, that's the way it is. But yeah, it's, it's people do influence. Mm-hmm. Most cases for the better, mm-hmm. and occasionally not for the better. Mm-hmm. So I stayed in that job for four years. That was from 2000 to 2004 in the South London, in an all-girls school, <laughs> Gothic school. And the head at the time said to me, Alex, there's a job coming up in East London. You might be interested in applying for it. And I said, do you want to get rid of me? She said, no, 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 nothing to do with that. Anyway, I had a long story short. I applied for the job. I was interviewed and I was successful. And I stayed as head between 2004 and 2011. Mm-hmm. I stepped away from the job because of, largely because of the time it was taking me to get to and from work. Mm-hmm. I was coming home in the evening late and I had to work. I was going into work in the morning mm-hmm. and I had to work the previous night and I was going in, I was going in tired. And the living years of that took its toll, of course. So I, I was grateful for the time I had mm-hmm. and for the experiences I had, the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. Because I think you have to learn from bad experiences as, as well as 
good that both are formative mm-hmm. and you need to you need to listen to you know both sides of that both sides of that that curve mm-hmm. so i finished up in 2011 and and within six weeks well my yeah my retirement lasted about six weeks and then i got a a call via i got a call from dr burns mm-hmm. saying would you like to come and do a little bit of work with me mm-hmm. and that was eight years ago i'm mm-hmm. still here Fantastic. So again, that people connection that, how did you know Dr. Burns, if I might ask? I didn't. Oh, okay. My wife at the time, Kim, worked at Heathrow mm-hmm. and, and she knew uh, Dr. Burns mm-hmm. then, mm-hmm. And in her conversation. So again, just these chance meetings mm-hmm. can have quite a, an impact mm-hmm. and the consequences can be quite wide and varied. So it was really easy. Mm-hmm. I got the job. Fantastic. And can you tell us a little bit about your current role? What do you do as the Senior Programme Administrator for the BA Divinity Programme? Elizabeth and I together are the programme team. Mm -hmm. Now, we cannot do our work without IT support, without library support, without all the HR support that we have in the university. Mm -hmm. I have to say, given the size of the university and given the number of students that are are associated with the University of London, Mm -hmm. the, the, the tens of thousands that does come through these doors, either long distance, online or, or face-to-face. You need a network to support people. Uh, and that's been one of the great things about working here. The support network has been, has, it really has been fantastic. I couldn't lay fall with, with any, sometimes the systems can be a bit, why do we have to go through these routes? But, you know, there's always a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the system has to work and mm-hmm. people, you know, people make it work. Mm-hmm. And on occasion, like every system, like every organization, it, it, can, it can fall down. Mm-hmm. But those things are, you don't remember those things. And I'm, I'm, I'm just graced to have been working here as long as I have with uh, the network of people around me. Mm-hmm. And myself and Dr. Burns, as I say, we are the program team. Mm-hmm. We communicate with students face-to-face on online, me- online meetings once a week. So my work involves timetabling for, for exams, liaising with tutors, mm-hmm. ensuring that, that paperwork, and there's a lot, there is a lot of paperwork, mm-hmm. you can't get away from it. Uh, like most of it's online, so there wasn't, in the early days, it was physical paper you were dealing with. But in working with the tutors, in, in setting examinations, in working with external examiners. But the biggest the biggest joy really is working with the students face-to-face. We have a weekly online drop-in meeting. <laughs> Occasionally, we we don't get any students. <laughs> but the last one I was at, we had somebody from the United States, we had somebody from Australia, we had somebody from Germany. So coming along, they're not necessarily coming along with problems mm-hmm. to be solved, but they come along and it's good for, on you know, the University of London, the online programme. One of the great benefits for us is that we can actually, okay, we're not seeing people in the flesh, mm-hmm. but being able to have that face-to-face chat uh, in real time is remarkably powerful. Mm-hmm. And even just encouraging somebody who might be coming along to, and, and, and maybe for the first time, having some problems in terms of settling into the work. And a lot of our students are already are professional people. Mm-hmm. They're working at Revolve or medicine or mm-hmm. banking or but they're not all doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a car mechanic, we have mm-hmm. we have one or two that you know unemployed or not currently in, in, in work. Mm-hmm. So we have a wide variety mm-hmm. and 
every one of their needs, but being able to share that, that's a great source of strength for all the people to really to know that they are not alone. That despite the organization of the work, uh, there is a support network there. So I, I, that's really about it. Uh, emails, emails, emails. That we all come to love and hate. Absolutely. And again, what's coming across, Alex, is the emphasis on people that the people who've influenced your career, but also how your career has and continues to influence other people as well. And interestingly, in the previous conversation that I had with another humanities graduate, the emphasis that she placed was a lot on the people and the finding the human in the humanities as well. So I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that and your thoughts on studying a humanities degree and what skills you feel that that gives you, perhaps reflecting on your own experiences, but also perhaps in your role as the um, program administrator for the Divinity course. You know, what do, what do you feel the humanities offers students? First of all, Edwin, you're you're absolutely right about the uh, the, the people side of this, and uh, and going into if anybody's, for example, going into education, you're you're not an island there. You're totally dependent on, on the support and the work of others. And you can't go into, you certainly can't go into teaching as a learner. You're working as part of a team. And the whole concept of, of teamwork is extremely strong in education, both at a tertiary level, at a secondary level, and indeed at a primary level. I think with humanities, uh, humanities degrees offer students, uh, I believe, uh, a depth of uh, a depth of knowledge, which I, I'll probably get into trouble for saying this, but uh, a, a depth of insight, a depth of knowledge that sort of STEM-related subjects, the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, that they don't necessarily have. Um, I remember once um, when I was doing postgraduate work uh, at Heathrow, being invited to Imperial College London to give a talk about aspects of in the Bible, that was on, along those lines, it was a long time ago. And it was a small seminar. These guys and girls were captivated by it because I learned afterwards that there, one of them said to me afterwards, you know, our life experience is, is pretty much data based. Mm-hmm. It's looking down the test tube. It's yeah. looking at, well, this is right, this can't, we have to dismiss that, we have to dismiss that. Yeah. In, in terms of humanities, it's, it's much more complex than that. Mm-hmm. You are dealing with uh, emotions, passions, you're dealing with uh, people who, who come to with all sorts of baggage. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the, the wealth of uh, insight that humanity students can offer to, to others, I, I believe, is quite vast to me. Now, that's not to say that non-humanity students get offered that same insight, mm-hmm. but in my experience, uh, coming from a humanities background myself, um, I, I found that to be the case. And it can be rather, uh, um, you know, more more engaging, mm-hmm. more to say and more to offer. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that is not to dismiss the great people who come into education, for example, as scientists and, and technologists. And all these things are needed. Mm-hmm. And, and education in particular needs, it needs humanities. Mm-hmm. It needs technology and science and STEM-based subject people coming from those disciplines. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes for pretty much a rounded education yes. with, with young people. But the humanities, is, I think it does offer something. Something. 
what did the French say? Je ne sais quoi. Mm -hmm. there, there, there is something. There is something else there. It's always. Mm -hmm. I've met the most boring humanities teachers in, in my life and think, I'm not sure this is <laughs> you're like to be where you are at the minute. But uh, yeah, the challenges of education. So as far as humanities is concerned, there is uh, a great wealth of, of experience that you can be brought to bear on, 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 on whatever it is you choose to do. And it's uh, not unique, but it's certainly a great strength there. I absolutely agree with everything you're saying there, and it's so wonderful to, to hear you articulating that, because as a humanities graduate myself, it can often feel like the humanities are under attack at the moment in the media and in the current landscape, and hearing you there emphasise some of those unique attributes of a humanities graduate, it's really quite positive, and I'm sure it's something that our listeners will appreciate hearing as well. And on that note, that we often hear about the sort of doomed future of the humanities. How do you feel about that? Do you think that the humanities have an exciting life ahead or do you think that we have some challenges that we might need to overcome? I think the challenges will continue to exist. Mm -hmm. We live in a world, uh, and I'm speaking now as a, as a non-technical and non-scientist, but we do live in a world where STEM-related subjects are, they, they have a, a kind of a, a, a binary that the humanities studies, humanities subjects don't have. Mm -hmm. But it, for me, education is not just about being able to do things. Mm -hmm. It's about being able to interpret what it is that you see and to be able to learn from that and to apply it to different situations. Mm -hmm. And for me, as a, certainly as a head teacher, I, when I reflect back on my time as a head, our best students mm -hmm. weren't always the ones that had the highest grades mm -hmm. in GCSEs or A-levels or physics, chemistry, biology or whatever, or indeed in humanities. Mm -hmm. But our best students were those who were able to combine both sides. And I always would always say to my students, look, uh, if you want to be a doctor, then you have to go and you have to study mathematics and you have to study physics and mm -hmm. probably biology and the thing uh, in your plan that is not vocationally oriented mm -hmm. yeah keep the balance mm -hmm. because balance in life is mm -hmm. is what we need mm -hmm. uh, and, and humanity supplies that balance mm -hmm. and i think there's been uh, there's been too much of a, a a tendency i think in political circles and indeed in education circles but driven by politics i think where science subjects have a much greater value mm -hmm. because of the nature of the society that we are. With the advent of, you know, artificial intelligence, AI, and all the challenges that that's mm -hmm. going to bring, mm -hmm. are bringing, mm -hmm. I think there are real dangers there. Mm -hmm. That unless you're able to balance some of it up with an outlook of life, which is not down the barrel of a test tube mm -hmm. or whatever, yeah. but we got my metaverse mixed up there. <laughs> but nonetheless, I think if we lose the humanities, we, we, we might as well give up. We might as well give up. Mm -hmm. And when I look at the, the lack of, for example, music education, mm -hmm. art education, mm -hmm. drama, mm -hmm. all those things, that, that, that all the creative parts mm -hmm. that go to make up, uh, you know, creativity. Mm -hmm. and it's about that. Mm -hmm. And you can't get that, I believe. Mm -hmm. You know, someone might say different, but I don't think you can get that simply through an approach to life which is simply focused on data. It requires more than that. And that's the great strength of our humanities. Absolutely. And something that you're saying there, Alex, is about the rise of AI and the impact that that's going to have on many different sectors and many different aspects of life. 
And I think it would be really interesting to see what happens in the coming decade about actually what is the role of humanities when we're living in an age of increased automation, that actually will things go the other way and people will be really keen to think about what makes us human and actually what we can do differently to a machine or to an algorithm, what unique things we have as flawed, complex, contradictory people. I think that's going to be fascinating to watch over the next decade. I think you're absolutely right. We're going into a, a great unknown here. Mm-hmm. But it's not the first time. Mm-hmm. Like we've had it before. We had it with the advent of computers. I remember the first time I walked into a classroom to observe someone teaching uh, a primary school in, in the north of Ireland. And I walked in and there was a, on, on one side of the room, there was a, a turf fire. These are nine and 10 year old kids. Uh, and on the other side of the room, there was a, 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 a BBC computer mm-hmm. and this group of, of kids just gathered around this computer. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, mm-hmm. like waking up on Christmas Day, unwrapping presents. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of back now 20, 30, a long time, quite a, quite a few years ago. And that experience of seeing technology coming online, and it was always a threat. The internet was a threat. Computers were, were they were a threat. And it never meant you realise. Mm-hmm. And now we've got AI. Yes. Now, it is a great unknown, a workshop here in this building uh, quite recently <laughs> about the advantages and disadvantages, the, the risks of AI <laughs> and uh, the possibilities. <laughs> and there were a lot of unanswered questions. <laughs> and I think uh, there is something there that we, we don't know yet, but we will go into it. We will grasp it. We will learn from it. Yes. But it cannot and must not and will not displace the humanities. <laughs> you know, we need music and life. We need drama. We need <laughs> art. We need that kind of creativity, which all these other things, important as they are, just don't get me. It's very interesting there. You've mentioned quite a few changes over your career, and you've mentioned the rise of computing and the impact that that had. You've also mentioned some of the social changes that when you started in the 80s, you could go into a classroom with no real experience or qualifications. And we've also touched on some of the changes that are likely to come in the next few decades as well. What advice would you have for any recent graduates or current students to navigate the changes that are ahead? Do you have any piece of advice on how to handle that uncertainty and thrive in a period of change? I would say like in all periods of change, it's very easy to rush into it. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to uh, come to a judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, if I was to say anything to students, to people, you know, looking at where we are at the moment is to, is to have an open mind. Yes, form an opinion. Yes, form a view. But don't close your mind off to what might be possible. We have seen so much that has been positive. We've seen harmful things, bad things, let's face it. But there is so much there. And I think it's important to keep an open mind about and not only about what you think the, the direction of play might be, but keep an open mind about the contribution that you yourself might have to play in. And for those starting out on a career, I would simply say, you know, go with your instincts and don't be afraid to take risks. By that, I don't mean risks with health or safety or anything mm-hmm. like that. But I mean, you know, are you afraid to, you know, listen, here's an opportunity. Why should I consider that? Do yeah. There are also things uh, that that you have to uh, clearly you have to bear in mind when you're 
looking at um, different avenues that you might wish to pursue. But I think you need to take a little bit of a risk, but keep your mind open about it. And I suppose it's about not putting limits on yourself and thinking, I can't do this, yeah. or this is beyond what I'm capable of. But actually try things out, be willing to experiment, and you might surprise yourself and discover yeah. a skill you, you never knew you had. Like you said a few moments ago about the long, longevity of my own career. <laughs> and that's absolutely right. I'd say for a lot of people now that they're going to change career. Yes. Um, at least twice, maybe three times. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe more uh, over the course of uh, a working life spanning 40 or 50 years. Uh, gone are the days when you went into a job and you had tenure and that was, that was your shortage for life. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work like that. It's one of the conversations that has always stayed with me that I had with a student who was very anxious of entering the world of work, thinking that he was going to make a mistake or pick the wrong career and end up utterly miserable. And when we spoke and sort of dissected that a bit, it turned out that both his parents had entered a job at 16 and completed that job all the way to retirement when they got the gold clock and a pat on the back. And it was fascinating to see that the impact of his parents' generation and the impact that that was having on him and his career choices. And it was such a revelation in that conversation when I was saying to him, you know, we're not in our parents' generation. Like, we will change careers. We're not stuck in one thing. We can be flexible. And you've mentioned, Alex, that your own career changes, that you initially started out in the seminary um, targeting the priesthood, but then that didn't work out and you moved into education. And now staying in education, but in a very different type of role to being a head teacher or a classroom teacher. And I wonder, sort of looking back on that career journey, would you have any advice for people who might be thinking of changing their own careers? Well, in my own case, like the the transition from uh, my role as a head teacher, as a deputy or a classroom teacher in education and going into the, at this level where I'm, I'm now out at, at the university, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't such a huge wasn't such a huge, uh, a huge job. <laughs> yes, the daily interaction was very different. The pressures were different. But I would say, you know, as any advice I would say to, uh, to, to people, don't be afraid <laughs> to, to make that jump. And <laughs> uh, don't be afraid, you know, life is, to some extent, very short. <laughs> it is very short, but it's also quite long. <laughs> and lots of things will present themselves. So my advice would be, you know, you need to talk to people. You need to talk to family. If you're married, you need to, you know, bring a, a partner along with you. Or in a relationship, you need to bring a partner along with you. So it's not just about you. The choices you make do affect other people, hopefully for the better, but not always. So you really do need to keep an open mind about your relationships and how that might affect. But I'd say to go for it, you know. Uh, don't be afraid to try out new things. Uh, don't be afraid to make a mistake. And you mm-hmm. all make mistakes. People mm-hmm. do make mistakes. Mm-hmm. We've all made mistakes. It's, it's a question about what you learn from that and how you come back after that. And most mistakes are not sort of catastrophic, thank God, really, but some may well be. Some will influence and, and other people's lives in ways which we had never intended. But, you know, I would say to people, Think about what it is you would like to do. Think about the consequences and go with it and take the risk. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to find yourself in a situation where you feel that, oh, my gosh, 
I haven't done, I haven't really served my time in this. I really need to stick at this. Don't, because Mm -hmm. you will be the most miserable person Mm -hmm. if you stick into something that you're not really happy with. You need to find an alternative. Fantastic. And so thinking a bit more about your role as a head teacher, that I remember when we spoke in the panel event on education, that you said that you still remember the feeling of the buck stops here when you walked into that school for the first time. And I remember you using that that exact phrase that stayed with me. What advice would you have for a listener who is entering a position of leadership or management for the first time in their career and facing that moment of, okay, the buck stops here? First of all, understand the difference between management and leadership. You know, the number of textbooks I have consumed on this mm. will will each give a, a slightly different will each give a, a slightly different interpretation. They are they are two different things, but there there is an overlap. But anyone seeking to go into a leadership position in a school needs to have shown at least the potential for leadership. They need to be able to work direct and lead other people. Um, now, some people are good at that. Some people are awfully bad and it doesn't work. So the models of leadership are, are there as varied as, as the raw people, you know, ranging from the autocratic mm-hmm. to the uh, collaborative. Mm-hmm. You need those extremes. Mm-hmm. You need to be a bit of an autocratic. <laughs> you need even people coming coming into the school, say, for example, somebody coming in and I'm a head teacher and somebody comes in, they're looking to be a, a deputy head teacher in the school. No matter how experienced they are, you need to be able to tell them uh, and not simply sell them. You need to be able to tell this is how it's done and this is what you need to do. So no matter at what stage you're coming in, you need to have the support around you, that network. But you need to be able to know how you operate as an individual. Mm-hmm. How am I going to deal with it? How do I run a team meeting? Mm-hmm. How, how am I going to build up my relationships with the people over whom I got the job? The person next to me has been here and has applied for it and didn't get it. How do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. That can be that can be quite tricky. There are people who end up in leadership positions who should never have been in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think... A good selection process will, will, will hunt that out. The selection process doesn't always get it right. Uh, you can still end up with, uh, oh, God, a mistake. <laughs> but, uh, but there's not a lot you can do. So uh, I think know yourself, know your strengths, know your weaknesses, or your, what do they call them, you know, the areas for development or whatever whatever they're called. Uh, I used to say to people in an interview, where, where are your weaknesses? Mm-hmm. Name me the single biggest thing that you, you need to work on. Yeah. And how many of those would give the inevitable, oh, I work too hard or I care too much? Exactly. <laughs> and of course, you got, you got all those, you got all those answers, you know. But know yourself and be reflective mm-hmm. uh, before you go for that interview, before you go uh, and, and do the task that you're being asked to do. You're, you're going to be asked certain questions. Mm-hmm. Anticipate some of them. You're not going to anticipate them all, but anticipate some of them. What makes you think you can do the job? What really makes you think you can do the job? And how can you show me? So you're looking at potential. But I see people coming in for, on paper, the application is absolutely fine. They walk through the door and within two minutes, I think this, this isn't going to, this isn't going to work. You know? So I think that you need to be reflective. You need to know, as I said, you need to know where your particular strengths and weaknesses are. But that, just to walk in thinking, I've applied, I have been given an interview. What are you going to say? How are you going to say yourself? What is it about you that's going to make you different from yeah, the person next door? Yes. You will have a lot in common. 
Yes. But you've got to have something unique to you. You sell it, tell it, yes. uh, share it, if you have that opportunity. Yes. And I really like your points there, Alex, about knowing yourself. It's that saying, isn't it? First know thyself. And it is so very true that understanding your weaknesses, your strengths, what makes you tick, what you bring to an environment, it's so important that... And something that we often say is, you know, you need to get the story right in your own head. That if you don't understand why you're applying for this or how this job fits into the next steps in your career, it's going to be very hard to solve that to the potential employer. And of course, that doesn't mean you need to know what you want to be doing for the next 50 years of your life. But at least, you know, why this is the next right step for you and sort of making sense of that story. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, I would often say to people, one of the... the stock question but one of the questions i've got to ask what do you see yourself doing in five years time mm-hmm. and that can throw some people mm-hmm. and some people have a very clear idea of what yes. they'd like to do but it's it's no big deal if you don't know what you want to do in five years time it doesn't really matter yeah. but don't try and make things up mm-hmm. speak from the heart and that'll always come through and looking back on your own career journey alex do you feel you had a career plan in the early days absolutely not mm-hmm. No, like I, I hadn't long. In fact, I was appointed head of department at a very early stage in my career. I think I'd only been teaching a year and a half. Mm. Uh, and this chap, uh, who was a great influence in my body mm. and my professional thinking and, and the way I operated, he said to me afterwards, I took a chance with you, Burke. Mm-hmm. You know, other people said, no experience, don't appoint. But he says I could see that there was something. Never <laughs> quite figured out what the something was. But anyway, that was it. Really. I was I was thrown in the centre of the apartment, leading a, a fairly small team of, of four people. No experience. Like I, I none of this. I, I just learned on the job, day in day out. Yes. Uh, yes, we had professional development. Yes, most of it was a waste of time to some extent. Some of it was all right, but a lot of it was a waste of time. Mm-hmm. So I learned, I pretty much learned on the job. Mm-hmm. Did I see myself at that point? Probably it was about seven, maybe about seven years in. And I thought, yeah, maybe, maybe let's, let's see where this, let's see where this takes me. But I had no idea at that stage that I thought, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to have your job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I want your job. I didn't have that kind of arrogance. I was driven by it. Yes. But I guess I, I, at that point, I knew my own limits, but I quickly, Discerned that I could do the job, but I needed to go through certain processes, mm-hmm. steps, which I went through. I ended up what I did and loved it. Yes. Uh, I'm not saying I loved everything that happened. <laughs> it, was a, it was a wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful job. And, uh, and I feel very privileged to have had the experience. Yes. And looking back on that career path, if you had the gift of a time machine, is there anything you would do differently? Would you choose the same career for yourself? Are there any of those sort of key moments where your career rattled across the point where you might have pulled the lever and gone in a different direction? I don't think so, Edwin. No, I always felt that I was, I had a huge number of opportunities in front of me in the educational field. Mm-hmm. And it was up to me to some extent whether I chose to take those on and on. But at no point did I say, oh, my gosh, you know, th- this really isn't for me. I, mm-hmm. I need to get out of here. Yes, there were days when I was coming out, tearing my hair because period five on a wet 
Friday afternoon in the middle of November. These kids were doing my head as they were. But quickly, that feeling quickly dissipated and I would be back in there on Monday morning and the young people would greet you and you would have a bit of a joke and a laugh with them and about this North London kids do. So it was no, at no point in my career did I think, but even if I had, even if I thought, even when I thought, well, okay, yeah, maybe I now need to do something different. Yes. I'm not so sure, but if, it, it, I'm not so sure that I would have approached that with the fear of trepidation. I would have just, just gone for it. Going back to what you were saying about yeah. nowadays, it's, it's, I think for me in my generation, it was different. It, you, you know, you, you took that career path. Yes. And I did. I took the opportunities that came my way. And I would like to look for the opportunities. You know, I wasn't just being reactive. I was trying to be proactive and say, well, okay, this is what I would, I'd like to do that. What do I know I need to do? Yes. But whether you do that within one line of work or whether you do with it, you know, multiple careers or yes. more than one career, right? It doesn't really matter. Yes. You, just, you need to think through for yourself, think through where you are at this moment in time and, and what you think you can offer in, in whatever capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we can surprise ourselves that we, we have so much that we, we can give other people, yes. whether it's in, in, in teaching or, or, or whatever it happens to be. It doesn't really matter. Absolutely. And as you're saying there, Alex, it's sort of putting yourself out there, being willing to take a risk. But also, um, if you're not actually going out and knocking on the doors, they're very unlikely to ever open. You know, you need to make your own luck and to make your own fortune when it comes to career planning and be willing to make those connections and make those jumps into the unknown. Absolutely right, Edwin. And I think it's so important to seek the advice of other people. Yes. To talk to other people, we talked earlier on about the nature of, uh, about the importance of relationships. Yes. And it applies in, in, in everything that we do. Mm-hmm. So where you are considering um, a career in X, Y, or Z, uh, talk to people. Talk to people who know better. Yes. Talk to people who've had the experience uh, and talk to people who can offer some insights Yes. Uh, maybe even offer a little bit of advice, but yes. you know, talk to people and don't be afraid to talk to a number of people and don't be afraid to recognize that you may be getting different, you know, different bits of information, mm-hmm. uh, which sometimes may seem to conflict. Yes, you know, that's all part of the learning process. Yes, and at the end of the day, of course, you have to, you have to make the decision am I going to go for this or am I not? Mm-hmm. And only you can do that. Um, so, but it's important to be to be receptive. Absolutely. And if we imagine somebody at the beginning of their career who's perhaps looking at moving into the education sector, you've mentioned there the importance of relationships and seeking advice from others. But on a sort of very sort of nitty gritty practical level, are there any particular resources or websites or job vacancy sources that you would suggest someone looked at? In terms of resources, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Like in, in this country, the Department for Education, mm-hmm. I think, offers quite a lot of very detailed, sometimes too detailed, <laughs> uh, information about uh, going into education. How do I want to be a teacher? Uh, all sorts of uh, avenues, yes. all sorts of uh, websites to to look at. Uh, my single biggest advice would be to try and speak to somebody, yes. uh, somebody who's in education. A teacher, classroom teacher, whatever. Don't be afraid, for example, if you're unsure, don't be afraid to approach schools individually. Even offer to come in and, and do a little bit of uh, 
it, it's a little bit more difficult now, but schools can still be open to, yes. for example, people who uh, might wish to are not sure about whether they want to be a teacher or not, mm-hmm. but they might want to work with young people through being a classroom assistant, for example, mm-hmm. where you don't need necessarily to go through all the hoops that you need to do to, you know, be a, a, a full-time bonus teacher, but approach the school mm-hmm. and talk to people. Mm-hmm. There must be somebody in your network out there who's has got something to do with education. After all, every single one of us in education, it would be absurd to think that uh, there isn't somebody out there that you don't know. So use the internet, use the searches, but talk to people more than anything, really. I think that's critical. Fantastic. And what's one final piece of advice that you would give to someone who's listening to the podcast today who are moving through different life stages of their career? I said earlier on about listening to your heart. That sounds a bit of a, it sounds a bit of a cliche, but you do need to listen to your heart. You need to know how you feel. And having listened to it and having perhaps at first rejected it, listen to it again Mm. and take the risk. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to take the risk and to step out there and talk to people. Mm -hmm. Do your homework Mm -hmm. as best you can and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to make a mistake because you will make mistakes no matter where we are, whether we're advanced in our our career path. You will make mistakes. But listen to your heart. Listen to other people. Listen to friends and family. That's important too, actually. If you're in a a family relationship, bring the family with you. I think that's to talk to people and don't be making decisions simply on the boot, independently of other people because it won't work. I had a text from somebody yesterday who's a little bit younger than myself, and he and his partner, his wife in fact, and family, have decided that they were going to Singapore in next year. That's a huge step to take, but they have taken that risk, and they've talked about it, and she's going to teach him within his school in Singapore. <laughs> so, uh, you know, no matter what stage you're at in your career, be confident that you get, you can actually make a difference and particularly in education to the lives of young people. Thank you so much, Alex. And just sum up the conversation today, I think there's been sort of a couple of main themes that have come out. One is, again, the importance of people, that having that network around you, thinking about the advice you take from other people who might act as a mentor and who is going to be fighting in your corner is really important. And it's something we often say as careers consultants that the very first barrier before entering work, it's not the application or the interview or necessarily even yourself, but it's actually your immediate family. Will they approve of this choice? You need to have those conversations as the sort of gatekeepers to any sort of meaningful career change. And it's very important to to do that in an early stage and to bring those people with you. And I think the other um, big theme to the conversation today has been around being willing and able to take risks, jumping into the unknown and not being frightened of change, whether that's technological change, the development of AI that we're seeing at the moment and over the coming years, or indeed just jumping into a new career direction or taking that leadership position or that next job be willing to experiment, try out new things and see what happens. You've summed it up very nicely. Thank you so much, Alex, for coming on the podcast today. And what a lovely conversation this has been in the basement of Senate House in central London with some very nice coffee. Thank you very much, Edward. It's been my pleasure. 
This was the seventh season of the Global Careers Calls podcast brought to you by the University of London Career Service. You can find our episodes on your favorite streaming platforms, including Acast, Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, and many more. All links and resources mentioned by our host are in the episode notes. This episode was hosted by Dr. Edmund Ma, edited by Bushra Janu, and introduced by me, Sneha Ramanathan. We'll publish more episodes in the following weeks with some inspiring stories from our global graduate cohort. So please subscribe. Thank you for listening and join us next time for a new Global Careers Call.